Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey, welcome to the Do Business Better podcast. I'm your host, Damian Mason. We get together here twice every week and we talk about great things you can apply to your business and ideas, inspiration, information, insights. And we have awesome guests just like today. Scott McCain is the author of his latest book, Iconic. He also authored a book called Create Distinction. His entire thing is about how you can look different in the marketplace so that you can actually command a premium and not go extinct. As you know, I talk a lot about reinvention and ways to achieve longevity. So he's right there in my wheelhouse. He's in your wheelhouse also, because I know that you want to stand out as a business. Scott McCain, welcome to the show. Damien, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. And thanks for the nice, uh, nice comments about the book. Well, I like to say good things about you because I read, I read the book. I also bought it on audible and I'm going to recommend that my listeners do the same thing because if you're a business owner, small biz person, uh, entrepreneur, solopreneur, there's a lot of good stuff here. And the main idea is you open with a story about Nokia. You know, my first self phone was a Nokia product. Nokia, uh, you point out, had uh, lumber products, was a a timber company, was a manufacturing company, then became a telecom company, and then everything went to hell in a handcart. And that was what, about 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Explain that and why it matters to the person listening right now. Well, one of the shocking things to me, I mean, there's so much involved in that. First of all, you know, Nokia and Motorola did mobile phones 24-7, 365, Yet Apple came up with the iPhone. Wouldn't you have thought that revolutionary technology... That they already had the competitive advantage. They were already in that space. They were already creating technology that everybody carries around in their pocket. Why did they not take it to the next level? Absolutely. And, And part of that is reflected by the quote that I used in the book from the CEO who said, we did nothing wrong. And that that kind of myopic view of your company and your industry and the world is is shockingly similar in in many organizations and many industries. And so I was trying to use it as a point that, uh, you know, disruption comes from dissatisfaction, that we there's something about what's happening. You know, who loved their Nokia phone? It, it, no, no one was a raving fan of, of their phone, which is part of why Steve Jobs said we, we you know, we, we wanted to build our own because we didn't like what we were using. It was just the, the technology that had been assumed over the marketplace. Yeah, and it worked. I mean, certainly it worked. Yeah. But compared to having to hop off an airplane for guys like you and I that travel around the country and go over to a bank of pay phones, punch in a 1-800 number that's a calling card, then begin our calls. It was a hell of a lot more convenient to assume as the plane landed, you turned on your Nokia cell phone, yeah. and uh, then you could check your messages and then start calling your clients and returning your calls. So it was way better than the alternative, but it wasn't necessarily progressing to make it a more consumer-friendly product. So is that what happened to them? I think it's part of it. I, I think the other part is that we get so busy defending what we're doing that it takes our not only our our, vi- our vision away, but it it, it monopolizes our time, and, and and gives us a viewpoint that uh, is is not responsive 
to the marketplace uh, and not responsive to what the future might be. That's one of the things, you know, it, it's, it's overused as an example. You know, we talk about Uber and disruption of what they're doing with the taxi cab industry, you know, on and on and on. But we overlook what they're doing now with Uber Eats and what they're doing now with Uber Health. Yeah, they, they haven't gotten complacent. You know, right. the old statement, success breeds success. Success also, once it becomes large, is my uh, observation, success becomes complacent. Uh, Nokia, big, 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 big. What are they, you know, Northern European company, they, they commanded the cell phone industry. As you said, they had other holdings, industrial holdings, that went, they'd been through so much stuff that I got the idea that there's a bunch of people on the board that sit there and nod their head and say, we can do no wrong. Absolutely. And this happened to Sears, uh, you know, BlackBerry, even in in the, in the same industry, and frankly, and Motorola. Motorola said, too. Yeah. One of my first big stock investments was the idea in 1997. Most of America already has phones and is going to have cell phones, but the rest of the world doesn't have landlines. They're going to go straight to cellular, and Motorola is the company that's going to do it. So they piled on the Motorola investment in my 401k IRA investments, and it promptly went uh, down about 85. <laughs> percent But you were right about. What was going to happen? It's just wrong about the company, right? That yeah. was going to do it. So, so one of our listeners, they're like saying, "Okay, I, I run a small company. I've got 27 employees. What's the lesson for me? Don't get too big. Well, that's probably not going to happen. It's not just a matter of size. It's a matter of adaptability. Yeah, it, it, that's part of it, and it's it's a matter of, of vision and viewpoint. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what the business is that you're in; it's how you look at what you do. Uh, interesting thing was released yesterday as we were recording this by Accenture Consulting, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it talked about that many of the problems in business are based upon how the CEO thinks. Here was the point that you can get your MBA and never take a single course on the customer experience. And one of the things, I've I said this for 10 years, you can become a doctor and never take a course on bedside manner. Mm-hmm. Yet, why do, why do doctors get sued? Why, why do their practices succeed yeah, or it's fail? Not, it's not because they're not competent. There, there is gross negligence. You know, my, my poor wife has uh, one and a half tonsils because the drunk surgeon in uh, Darlington, Indiana botched her surgery. So that is a matter of competence. Right. But generally, on a medical malpractice, it's because there was not a good rapport. Is that Absolutely. What you're Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I'm the only non-doctor to have keynoted the American Academy of Cosmetic Surgeons. And one of the doctors, you know, this this was an interesting group that kind of gets on their knees and asks God if he has any questions. Uh, the, the guy in the, in, the, in the group raised his hand and he said, uh, you know, you don't know what, we're, what you're talking about. We get sued on competency issues. And another guy stood up and he said, no, you're, you're wrong. We, you get sued on relationship issues. And the doctor said, who are you? He said, well, I'm, I'm the head of malpractice insurance for AIG. Uh, in, in the cases that we defend, it's because you didn't say, I'm sorry, or you didn't say, you know, you didn't hold the patient's hand and say, you know, and walk them through what was going to happen. Because, you know, and this is different for me than most. I've I said a long time ago, I made a social media post about it, that uh, when people have a terrible experience and then they say, well, at least they were nice about it. And I say, well, how, how delicate are you? I don't care if they were nice about it. I want American Airlines to get me where I paid to go because it's my business. I don't care if the flight attendant and the customer service agent were nice to me. I didn't come here to make friends. I came here to get to Frankfurt. Uh, or whatever. So, uh, but I'm not like most people. Most people do do value more the personal touch than the actual result. I expect them to be nice. I, I, I think that's woven into the package. One of the problems I've got in business right now is all the discussion about value added. Well, we'll be nice. That's a value add. Value added can be subtracted immediately. I want to do business with organizations that are value integrated so that getting me where I want to be on time 
is is important, and then being nice is woven into the package. Uh, why shouldn't it be? Yeah, it comes down to the that's the expectation as far as you're concerned. So, an iconic. All right. So the person listening to this is saying, "All right, what do I do to become iconic?" You know, this guy's all about distinction. How am I going to look distinct? And I talk, I preach this that the worst thing in the world is when you become a commodity because mm-hmm. commoditized products and everything does eventually become commoditized. Commodities are sold on price. The only way to win that game is to be bigger and cheaper. I worked for a lighting company, and every year our base model products, we figured out a way to make them cheaper because we had to because we were supposed to go down in price on our two-foot-by-four-foot fluorescent troffer. Uh, A lot of folks can't do that. A lot of companies can't do that. So they've got another choice, to be distinct. What do they need to know to become distinct? Well, first off, that any commodity, nothing has to be a commodity. I I think that's the choice of the organization. Uh, coffee is a commodity, but look at Starbucks. Water is free, but people buy Evian. Uh, now, we can debate about whether or not that's a good purchase, but Evian makes billions of dollars from, from people buying it. Uh, in, in speeches now, I'll say, how many of you have a favorite water? And they raise their hand. Uh, everybody in the audience says that. And there should be absolutely no difference. It's a, it's, a, it's a flavorless, clear liquid, and the only difference can be the package that comes in. Absolutely. From Dasani to Aquafina to Evian to Glacier Bay or whatever. So so whatever, in in, in most cases, when you name a commodity, I, I can say, here's, here's somebody that's differentiated that commodity. So how do you do that? I, I think there's four four cornerstones of distinction. The first one is clarity. You're very specific about what you are. But but here's the problem. Most groups and people won't be that specific about what they're not. Right? We, we, we have this desire uh, that we want to be all things to all people. Or if we say no, right. that it's going to drive some prospects away when, in fact, it makes us more attractive in the marketplace to to our targets. So yeah. that's the first question. So clarity, clarity not only of what you are, but what you are not. Absolutely. Okay. So, yes, then it's saying, uh, you know what? We're Mercedes-Benz. The one thing that we are not is we are not a low-budget automobile manufacturer. We are not a low-budget. We, we are not going to go out here and compete with Yugo. Yeah. And, and that's that's a clear branding situation, right? Sure, sure. I mean, for all the talk about Starbucks is overpriced, they don't care. You know, I mean, if, if you want cheap coffee, then don't come to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, we're not going to have a second level of coffee that's that's a quarter a cup simply so we can broaden our marketplace. Okay, uh, so clarity of what you are and clarity yeah. of what you're not is the first cornerstone of distinction. I'd agree with all that. Uh, does that move? Is the clear, is it, I mean, you, you're saying the clarity. Well, the marketplace moves. Uh, you know, Nokia was a cell phone manufacturer, and so do they have to then reclarify what they are in the light in light of advancing technology? I think they have to because of their failure. Uh, I, I, I think let's use Apple as kind of an overused example. Uh, when, when Steve Jobs said "insanely great," he was he meant Macintoshes. But later that evolved into iPads, iPods and then iPhones and iPads and everything else. So what, what they became was a, a company that, that stated at their time, uh, at the time, we're, we're going to create insanely great products to help people communicate, have fun, be efficient. So, so what happens is your, your vision can change over the period of time, but you, but you can't change your core values. You, can, you can't change about what you stand for. Okay. Uh, it, Apple is never going to stack them deep and sell them cheap. That's that's a, that's not. They're very clear that that's not who they are. Right. So that while while the marketplace shifts and evolves and changes, you know, to use the Uber example, the clarity at the beginning was, you know, we're going to revolutionize getting you from point A to point B. But but then that clarity evolved. 
evolved into how do we make how do we change transportation? How, how do we bring meals to you? How do we get you to your doctor's appointment? How do we move you now with with the helicopter flights they're doing in, in New York City? So it, the, the core stayed the same, but as the market evolves or as your company grows, the I mean, product the product can change, but the core the core purpose and mission mission for the company stays the same, and also like you said, their core values. It should stay the same. Yeah. I mean, it, when you use an example of a failed company, uh, maybe their clarity was not in the right spot, right? Maybe their clarity, or maybe they weren't clear enough about what they weren't. I mean, Nokia was very clear about what they were, but it became a, a, a job of let's defend the products that we already have in the marketplace rather than do, as you said, the marketplace shifts and change and grows and evolves. What's the second What's the second cornerstone of distinction? Uh, this is one that surprised me in the research, Damien. It's, it's, it's creativity, and creativity comes second. I have to admit, when I started on this, I thought, well, you know, the first step, get creative. Not true. The reason we always say think outside the box is because we haven't defined the box to begin with. We don't even know what box we're talking about. And that's why we always think we have to think outside of it, because we're not close enough and good enough and specific enough to talk about the clarity to begin with. So creativity is finding something unique within your clarity that will separate you in the marketplace. Uh, uh, it's an old example, but it makes the point. It's one I use often is the Taylor family starting a rental car business. And, and literally what they did was they, they wrote down every single point of contact the customer would have with a rental car company. There's 13 of them. It's in the book. And, and they looked at all 13. They said, we're going to pick one of these 13 and we're going to flip it. We're going to get creative at one specific point. And they named their rental car company Enterprise. And the one creative thing they did is pick you up. Rather than you come get the car, we'll bring the car to you. And now they're bigger than Hertz and Avis. They're the biggest player in the industry. And by the way, not because the product is different. The Ford I get from Enterprise is exactly the same car as the Ford I would get from Hertz. But it's finding that one unique twist, creative. But but here's the here's the challenges. So many times when we talk about creativity, people say, well, let's do something different. It's not different for the sake of being different. That's why clarity has to come first. Your creativity has to be grounded in your clarity. And, and, and so you find a unique thing, a unique approach, a unique style, a unique something. It's, it's not about the colors of your logo. It's not about, you know, what cute little uniform somebody wears. But what it is about is finding a unique way to serve customers. Different isn't better. Better is better. But we need to find creative ways to get there. You and I both had a disagreement with a certain person that's in our industry of speaking, writing, and talking about business uh, because uh, that particular individual said that different is the new better. And I said, that's ridiculous because uh, there's lots of things that are different. You know, the, the person that comes over, instead of uh, 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 spraying your yard for weeds, just sprays it and kills it. Well, that's different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You have to mow it now. Yeah. Yeah, that's different. If, if, I, if I slap every customer in the face. Hey, that's different. You know, I'm treating them differently. They're never going to come back and buy something. So, so creativity got it. Clarity yeah. first. Creativity second. Third cornerstone distinction. Communication, and it's uh, it's a couple of different things. Number one, it's how we communicate. Um, we 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 know everything about the changing generations. More generations in the workforce. More generations that are customers, and, and we hear that on and on and on and on. But there's one form of communication that. All generations connect with, whether we're talking about millennials, baby boomers, Gen Z, and that's that's narrative. That's that's a story. 
We're all story junkies. And so I'm not saying that the data isn't important. I'm not saying that the facts and the figures are irrelevant. They're totally relevant and totally critical. But it's how we position them in the form of a narrative that engages. So you believe, you believe the customer, uh, we overwhelm them and tell them uh, that our stuff is 30% better than the, than the competitions or that we're 3% uh, blah, 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 blah. And what they really want is they want to buy into our story. I, exactly. I recently did a conference for about a thousand dentists. So I went on 50 of their websites to prepare just to look to see what their websites are. On 49, I saw copious pictures of teeth before and after shots. Mm-hmm. And they all looked the same. I couldn't tell. Bad teeth, and here's what we do. We give you good teeth. And here's good teeth. So they're at least they're communicating their benefit. We give you bad, you come up with bad teeth, we give you good teeth. Except for one dentist mm-hmm. who had a picture of a woman that had really, really bad teeth and then had a picture with a beautiful smile. And it talked about, she went to the dentist and said, my husband hasn't been home for a year. He's been in Afghanistan. I want to smile when he comes off that plane. He will never forget. (laughs) Now, all of a sudden, you know, Wow! Yeah, so we, we just we just we just combine an emotion, almost a tear a tearful emotion that everybody can get behind and be supportive of, and it also communicates more than forty nine pictures of bad teeth yeah. becoming good teeth. He had one. He had that one story, that one narrative, and it meant more than all the other forty nine sites and, and groups of teeth. Fourth cornerstone of distinction: customer experience focus. Um, it, it means that we then go into how does all of this make the customer feel about doing business with us? What is the experience that we are creating? And and it's, I'm not talking about customer experience. I'm saying that the distinctive organizations really have a focus on this. What is the experience that the customer has? And and and, and one of the challenges with this is I see so many organizations talking about the customer journey. And I've got a real problem with that. Journeys have destinations. Journeys have endpoints, right? If, if I go to Disney World, the journey is over when I get to Disney World. Why would I want a customer journey that means at some point there's an end? I want, I want, a, I want a customer loop. I want, a, I want an infinite loop with customers it, that we have a process that keeps you, you know, in the loop. So iconic companies, companies that are distinct, companies that don't become commodities, have an experience that doesn't, it, it does end, but it also starts up again. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, we're, we're moving from a transactional economy to a subscription economy. Uh, there are, for example, uh, Porsche right now is doing subscriptions. Uh, that they're test marketing in, in Atlanta. Uh, Hertz is, is now copying that, as a matter of fact, where you spend a thousand bucks a month and that covers your tags and it covers your insurance and it covers your car and you can do a different ch- car. Do a different car. So if this weekend we got friends coming over, I, I get the four wheel drive, I get the Cayenne. Oh, but now they're gone. Now I want to look cool. Well, I go get a 911. And, and you can change cars once a week, every week, however many weeks you want to do it. And, and it's a set fee. But then people stay in that. So the, Randy Pennington, our friend, uh, talks about you know, his, his dealings with the, the Sewell Automotive Group in Dallas. Oh, I've never heard that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. That's, that's new info. Uh, and, uh, you know, but but part, of, part of what Randy talks about is how they view the lease, not as, you know, you think we've traditionally thought about the lease as being a three-year term. And at the end of the third right. year, okay, now i got to sell you again. Yep. We're, we're, Sewell looks at it more like a subscription. How do we're going to, oh, 
oh, by the way, Randy, you know, just bring the car in. We'll give you a new one, just like the one you're driving, only a brand new model. Same price, same everything. It's, it's an amazing way to look at business. But we see this in our personal lives. We have Netflix subscriptions. We have Hulu subscriptions. We have, we have more subscriptions than we realize, but yet we don't think about how that applies to the experience for our customers. All right. Create. So you've given me the four cornerstones, and I'm a small business person. I'm a solopreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. I've got one employee. I've got 100 employees. I'm listening to this, and I say, all right, Scott McCain, you're a smart dude. you got a good book called Iconic. And by the way, dear listener, you should buy this. I bought it on audio as well as hardback. It's a good book. It's a smart book. It makes you think about longevity, which I talk about, and also being distinct. So you're not just being out there competing on price because when you compete on price, you lose. Uh, bring this all together. Subscription economy versus transactional. The four cornerstones, iconic to the person that runs an insurance agent that has their own landscaping company that owns uh, three Arby's franchises. What, are, what's the, what do they need to know? Well, they begin with clarity. That, that's the first point. You got to get clear. If, if you can't tell me what separates you from the competition, how in the world do you expect your customer to understand? And if, if you can't get that, then your customer can't get it. So the very first thing that you begin to do is to say, here's where my flag's in the ground. Uh, in Southern Indiana, where I grew up, as you mentioned, we're, we're both originally Hoosiers. Um, there was a little pizza spot. Uh, a guy sold his Camaro and used that money to buy an oven that he put in his dad's bar uh, because people would come in, you know, the carryout laws in Indiana are a little different than they are in most of the country. So to get a cold six pack, you have to go to a tavern or a package store. And, and so people would come in and buy a six pack from his dad, cold, take home. So he started doing pizza. And well, his name's John, and it was in his dad's tavern. So he named it Papa John. And I know he's had his own personal issues here lately, but. At the very beginning, he said, better ingredients, better pizza. His flag was in the ground that, you know, we're going to create a better product. Domino's, on the other hand, is basically your pizza in 30 minutes. They haven't used that since the 90s, but they, we still think of Domino's as hot. They both sell pizza. But one's very clear. We're a delivery business. We're going to get it to you quicker and faster than, than, than anybody else. The other, Papa John's, is a quality business. Our, our pizza is going to be better than anybody. It, it, it's going to take a while to get to you, but it's going to be better. They compete in the same space, yet they, they create distinction through the clarity that they have about what separates their business from the rest of the competition. So whether you're, whether you're doing pizza or whether you're doing a dry cleaners or, or whatever your small business might be, that's where you begin. Start by being clear, and you will become iconic. Scott McCain, he was my guest. This is the Do Business Better podcast. Till next time. Thanks for being here. Great. All right. Till next time. Thanks a lot.